Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I am joined by Ruth, as ever. Hello, Ruth, how are you? Hiya, doing all right. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, thanks. We've done a bit of a switch here. It's, nice, it's quite late by my standards here, and it's, you, you, it's not first thing in the morning for you, so I'm expecting you to be very perky today, I've got to be honest. <laughs> you mean I'm not perky normally? No, it's lunchtime here, so I do feel a little bit more awake. I'm actually post a coffee, which is probably not a bad thing. Well, that's the difference, you see. Normally, I'm just getting you after the first, you know, first sip of your coffee. So I'm, I don't think I'm quite getting you at your best. The listeners are now going to get peak Ruth Williams, which is, uh, which is, which is quite <laughs> the treat. Now, now you're making me feel bad about all these recent podcasts. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I didn't want to say, but we have had a lot of complaints. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously, uh, re- recording this on on Monday night, there's there's not been much for us to talk about. Uh, there's, there's, quite there's, a quiet footballing weekend. Yeah, eh? It has been quite a quiet day today. Um, yeah, not too much popped up today, which is good. So you know, we'll have to rattle through a few things just to fill the pot. Um, obviously, we want to talk about the the European Super League and the impact that might have on Welsh football. But I think it's worth just having that kind of general football conversation I think uh, discussing maybe some perspectives from different fans looking out from a few different angles we are of course as well going to talk about the Wales women and their 1-1 draw with Denmark we're going to talk about Laura McAllister we are going to talk about Danny Ward's new contract and uh, some Rome ticket news I think is popping up basically we might be on for a while so you know I hope you've got a long commute to work or you've got a very big cup of tea in front of you um, so Ruth, we wanted to start with Laura McAllister. Her uh, bid to be the UEFA representative, uh, the vote is tomorrow, Tuesday, I do believe. Um, I think everything I've heard and read and seen from Laura, as she was when she when she came on our podcast, I would just frankly describe as inspirational, really. I think she's got such a strong manner about her. Um and I think it really translates when she talks um, that kind of strong manner. And I and I think it's I think she's a very impressive person to listen to. I would agree. I mean, I think if you look at it just on paper, then it's very difficult to imagine that you'd find a better candidate for for the role that she, that she's going for. Um, so there's just herself and Evelina Kristalin, who is the who is the incumbent um woman that holds the seat at the minute it, i mean i think it's interesting they're coming at it from two very different positions you've got laura with her very concentrated football background and her an outstanding sports governance experience and then you've got crystalline who's coming from a a more sort of generic sports background she was actually a skier herself yeah. And, and it, it can be difficult to un, to unseat an incumbent. You know, she, she will have connections. She's also connected to the family that own Juventus, which is, you know, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit in the next <laughs> I, topic. I, I, I think they might crop up. Um, but, but all things considered, I'm, I mean, I would hope that Laura's resume speaks for itself, regardless of the, I mean, it sounds like she's been doing, in fairness, a lot of sort of PR you know, and I don't like to say schmoozing because that kind of undersells undersells her value. But but you know that connection that you need to do with people when you're looking for votes. It sounds like she's been working hard on that. Uh, her manifesto is great. If folks haven't, it's not, it's not a long read by any means. But it's very it's very focused. So if folks haven't read that, I would recommend having a look at that. It's only about eight 
eight PowerPoint slides, if I if I remember rightly. So it's a, it's a you know it's a good um, synthesis of of her aims and her her aspirations for the for the organisation. I I just think UEFA slash FIFA would be stupid not to be making use of her. I mean, what what a talent not to utilise. Yeah, I think that's the thing I've taken from a lot of the things she's read and uh, that I've read about her, sorry, that she's written a lot of things she said. You can find, we did retweet her manifesto, so if you want that, you can find that on our Twitter page, as well as hers, of course. Um, I think the thing for me is that the way she discusses being someone who has played football, has had some idea of football governance, has worked in a political sphere... I think she is someone who, like you mentioned there, has kind of experienced a lot of different things. And, you know, let's not forget that she is one of the biggest reasons that the Welsh women's football team began. Um, And and I think that that's the sort of thing that you can't take away from someone. And I do, and I'm I'm sure that um, her kind of challenger, if you like, will be ruining the day that she was backed by the Agnelli family um, the day before the election, that all of this stuff kind of broke out. I think when you have the president of UEFA calling them liars and snakes, I don't think that is... uh, particularly helpful uh, to, to, to the candidates. So, but there you go. It is what it is. You reap what you sow, I suppose. Um, but just just massive good luck to Laura. I think she speaks so well about um, women's football and the growth of it. I think she mentioned that it's growing four times the speed of, of men's football at the moment. She has her finger on the pulse. She's, you know, a big part, I think, of, of the FAW's decision-making process, and that says a lot. Um, I think she's a fantastic candidate. So good luck to Laura tomorrow. Um, I hope I hope everything goes well, and we will well tomorrow, Tuesday. By the time everyone's listening, this will be today. So I hope it goes well, and fingers crossed that we get some some good news about uh, about Laura McAllister later. Yeah, and we shouldn't forget that Kieran O'Connor is is standing for a role as well. It's the it's the seat that's reserved for the home nations representative it's the the one of the vice presidency seats interestingly a welsh person's never actually held that though so i mean i would hope that he gets the vote as much because it kind of feels like it's our turn as much as anything (laughs) um but um but yeah good luck to him as well because it's you know it's it's that's that's probably a more you know a more difficult sell to differentiate yourself as a candidate i think the the role that he's looking at so uh good o'connor as well um obviously we 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 touched there on the the super league thing i think it would be remiss of us not to talk about it um i i mean for the sake of stating the obvious ruth what are your initial thoughts on the situation i'm i'm angry i'm genuinely angry that uh, clubs in any form can think that that they can basically take away the, the history of of a sport that is so beloved. I I'm frustrated and angry at their greed. I'm I'm not surprised. I think it would be naive to say we're surprised, but the audacity and the brazenness of it, the way that. I mean, from what Kefferin was saying today, he was having conversations with some of these owners just a matter of like 48, 72 hours ago and was lied to his face by the sound of it. Um, the timing to be like now when the game is in such upheaval and is is so needy to be, do, to be doing this now on top of everything else is just disgusting. Um, 
part of me wonders in some respects i almost hope part of me wonders if it's bluster and a sort of machiavellian dark arts gambit almost that that they they're trying to sort of push you away for into into moving the champions league closer to what they want and whether you know they they're just they they're using this as a leverage point to move the champions league like the Swiss model for the Champions League, which is what was being voted on today, doesn't seem as bad suddenly, does it? You know, in this in this framework, although we we clearly had reservations about that model, but it, but as an alternative, it suddenly doesn't seem so bad. So part of me wonders whether they're playing chicken almost a little bit with UEFA and and pushing some buttons. Um, I. I'm just angry, Dave. I'm so angry. I mean, I, I it's such a difficult one. And for, for for what it's worth, I am going to play devil's advocate and uh, for a little mm-hmm. bit, just for the sake of an interesting chat. Because I think if you and I just sit here and just say this is shit for for twenty <laughs> minutes, it's not really worth a podcast worth listening to. But I do agree, principally with everything you said. I'm, I'm very angry about the situation on a, on a on a sporting level, on a fundamental level. I. I do think, if I'm being 100% honest, that it is a little bit rich that UEFA are coming out and saying all these things. And don't get me wrong, they've been lied to. They have, you know, like you say, Agnelli, I think, called Catherine on, on Thursday and said, yeah, everything's fine, don't worry about it. Edward Wood was the same. They're, you know, they're lying to him. I mean, it's absolutely, it is absolutely outrageous. However... I do think it's a bit rich for UEFA to be saying this after, you know, all the bribery scandals and everything else that has gone on there. Let's not forget that, you know, 20 years ago or so, they wanted to set up a Super League themselves. In the new Champions League setup that they were voting on, there was a section in it where they would basically pick four clubs that didn't get in it to get in it every year to boost the numbers. And I know it's not 15, and I know it's not the same, but I do find that the, I don't know, posturing is the wrong word, the you've treated me so badly, this is bad for football. I, I, I do feel like the the horse has very much bolted there. And, I, and I, yes, this is much worse. And yes, the, the, the potential long-term effects of this are, are damaging. I also do think we need to have a, a semblance of balance that you wait for being on their high horsey. I, I do think is a little bit rich, I've got to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it does... To ever think that UEFA have got the high ground, just like that's an anathema, isn't yeah. it? But but the irony is that these teams have put UEFA in that position where they they can claim that they're behaving responsibly and claim that they're behaving for the wider football community, the grassroots of football. We all know that that's not a reality. But they've act, they're actually able to claim that now and say that. So I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I think it's um, I, I think it's very rich that that UEFA are in this position where where they can um, be a little bit holier than thou about this and and claim that it's all down to it's all down to these twelve slash fifteen slash twenty clubs. Um, but but I think what what 
the 12 signees on the, on that declaration that came out last night, that letter of intent last night, I think they have enabled UEFA to take the high ground. And I, 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 right now, I'm going to back UEFA. I don't like it. I think there's a lot wrong with them as an organisation. But they are our best route to trying to retain what you and I think of as as football with a pyramid and with a hierarchy and with a an opportunity. That's one of the beautiful things about football is there are opportunities. You know, you look at what Swansea have done. You look at what Burnley have done. There are opportunities for teams to grow and develop and 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 strive and that for me seems so central that right now I'm going to back UEFA as weird as that sounds, but I'm, I'm in their corner at the minute. See, my fundamental issue with this is, and I am going to try and provide a positive spin at, at some point on the whole situation, not that I necessarily believe it, but just again, just a, an alternative side of the argument. The one thing I will say is that I'm most annoyed about here, and and I do think a lot of it comes from ego-fueled men who are not used to having anyone say no to them all of a sudden this has become almost a like a you know a dick swinging competition if you excuse my language in that we're gonna you know all the the super league teams have said we're gonna do this we're gonna do this and then uefa's reaction is well all right if you if you if you if you want to take all our best players we're gonna we're gonna stop stop those players play play playing for their countries and it's like it's, it seems like, right, this is what you're going to do. Okay, we're going to do something horrible back. And I don't think UEFA have the best interests of anyone in mind other than lining their own pockets as well because fundamentally, the people who stand to lose something here, if, let's say, your, your Gareth Bales or Joe Rodden or whoever can't play at the Euros, which, again, for the record, I don't think will happen, but if that's, if that's their line that is just as poisonous and damaging to this whole situation as the the the, the breakout league in itself i think because you know the international football for me is the only thing in a roundabout way that keeps football on an even keel it is the only form of football left apart from under 12s where people are playing football because they want to play football for something they don't get much you know, they don't get much money out of it. No one gets any particular prestige outside of outside of their country for doing it. But they do it because they want to play football for their country. They want to represent their country. They want to win something for their country. They have pride in their country. And now we're saying, oh, we might take this away just to, just to punish players who've got nothing to do with this. So for me, yes, UEFA are our, probably our best hope, which makes me feel sick saying. But I think they are also acting pretty poorly in all of this and you know a lot of people with very short memories here i've seen leads on have changed all their the the fixtures on their uh what's it called on their team website to like joke american names in inverted commas like the manchester <laughs> they, they've called them like the trafford reds and the mersey reds and all this and do you know what yeah all right i, I get your point but i hate to break it to you lads <laughs> but you almost went bust chasing the Champions League dream yourself a couple of years ago and it almost ruined your club. You wouldn't have taken the moral high ground then when you were spending ridiculous wages on, on players, you know, so that someone could try and chase a dream somewhere and 
you know, and who are the people who have to pick it all up at the end of it? The fans. I, I feel like, you know, no one is acting perfectly in any of this situation. I, I feel like it's... Re- I think that a lot of people with very short memories here You're trying to, you know, claim a few bonus points on Twitter. I, I do think the whole thing, whichever side of the argument you stand on, is still pretty deplorable, I've got to be honest. I, I can't disagree. I mean, I don't think two wrongs make a right. They don't even clo- come close to making a right. Um, I think UEFA are scrambling to find things they can they can do. Um, you know, like the notion of docking points from some of these teams, that has to be a, a, a national sort of federation league level. So they can't control that. They can control access to next year's Champions League, I suppose. Um, and they can, 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 they can control what happens at their international championships. They can't say that England, France and Italy won't play at the Euros because then you're going after the wrong people. You're going after the the national federations when at the moment they're actually on your side. So you can't go after them. So then that leaves you going after the players. I think it's fundamentally wrong. I think it's particularly wrong at the minute when those players have signed contracts with clubs anticipating playing for argument's sake in the Premier League or the Championship the Champions League or, you know, whatever. You've signed a contract under a certain set of circumstances, haven't you? Yeah. And and to be told that you can't then play in the Euros because your team, your club, has independently decided something that wasn't on the table when you signed your contract. I mean, I think the players and the players' unions would have a very good case at that point. So I, I suspect even if UEFA went down that road, organisations like FIFA Pro, the 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 players' sort of union umbrella organisation would be taking that straight to court, and there would be injunctions that would stop that happening, because I th- I think they I think the players' unions would have a very good case that one, these players haven't actually played in this competition yet. I don't think I don't think intent. I don't think the fact that it's an intended outcome procures UEFA from banning things and 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 putting in sanctions to be honest i don't think i don't think this has to happen i don't think the super league has to happen before uefa can operate sanctions against the clubs and the players but i but i think it puts them in a more difficult legal situation to do that so i think fifa pro and the like would have a a a good opportunity to put injunctions and safeguard what happens to the players in that sense you know contracts are signed in good faith the competition hasn't started yet. You don't know who's actually going to play in these games, et cetera, et cetera. So I think my gut reaction at the minute is that even if UEFA go down that route, it's not something they could necessarily push forward in the very short term because I think there would be enough legal hurdles to that. And that's probably something that they're looking into at the moment is what what can they do that will keep them on this like metaphorical high ground that we were talking about earlier. I do think there's there's limits to what FIFA can and UEFA can do though. So I th- I th- I think the I think the players are in jeopardy. I think their 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 status with those teams puts them in a vulnerable position. I mean it's it's an almost impossible situation for the players because you know you can say what you want about how much they earn or whatever. Joe Rodden, let's say, is a young guy. He's in his first year at Tottenham. I have no idea what his salary is. I'm sure it's very good. But this will be the first time in his life he's earning mega, mega money. You know, is he? are we expecting him to walk away from his lifetime security, his lifetime goals and dreams? 
you know, to play in a tournament for Wales. And I, I just don't think I'd be critical of him if he chose not to do that because I don't think it's a fair position to put him in as an example. And and there's many others that are in a kind of similar situation. I think the big frustration for me is, and you're right, UEFA and FIFA, there's limited amounts that they can do. However, I do think this is a big missed opportunity in a roundabout way for FIFA, UEFA federations, the, the the Premier League, La Liga, whoever, to actually stop for a second and think, hang on, this is actually an opportunity for us to make a positive change. Football is on the verge of eating itself financially just to get to the point where, you know, we're talking about teams earning billions of dollars a year. I mean, it's, it's obscene. And I think they've missed a massive opportunity here because, in my view, what they should be doing is now sitting down with these federations and just saying, do you know what, if you 15 want to go, absolutely knock yourselves out. Let's see how it pans out for you. You might end up super rich. It might end up falling on its ass. Who knows? But just so you know, the door is now closed on you coming back to the Champions League, coming back to your internet, to your national federations, your domestic leagues that door is now closed. And as a consequence of that, what we are going to do is we are going to start a new statute or whatever you want to call it, where we are looking at safeguarding football clubs, community um, assets, basically, where we are saying, right, we are now going to look to enforce, if enforce is probably a harsh, strong word, we're going to look to implement a 50 plus one rule like they have in Germany across all our national federations. We want all of these other teams to sign up. We want all of the federations, the Premier Leagues, the La Ligas, all of these people to sign up for it. And we're going to make gradual changes. The people who own the clubs don't have carte blanche to do whatever they want in terms of decision making they can still make all the money from it they can do all of that but in terms of actual decision making for the clubs let us do something now to make sure that this can't happen again and i am not for one minute suggesting that that is an easy task and everyone sits around a table and goes fair play lads this is a cracking idea where do i sign i get that and i know i'm being idealistic and i know i'm probably not being realistic either but it really annoys me and again you know you're talking about feeling angry I, f I felt genuinely upset and angry about it as well earlier not just at the situation but the response is further anger and the reason that there's further anger from uefa is nothing more than the fact that they stand to lose money from it themselves they don't get they don't care about the welfare of the game in inverted commas because if they did the champions league wouldn't be the monster it is now the the the, the the European Cup wouldn't be travelling around to 12 countries, one of which is, you know, 3,000 miles away. It's the same distance as it is to go to America. You know, at no point can anyone say here, UEFA are worried about safeguarding the game, because that's nonsense, because they've been pissing that up the wall for years and years and years. The, my issue is that they have had an opportunity here to do something for good, and they've actively turned away from it just to say screw you we're going to do this because we can and i think it's again from everyone that everyone's side fundamentally wrong agree i mean i don't i don't like that we have to stand behind uefa on this i i agree with you i think there's a missed opportunity i think there's there's a there's some good they've actually got some goodwill suddenly out of nowhere and why not utilize that to find a better way forward i think it's disappointing that they've kind of come out swinging as opposed to come out with more wet exactly. measured um measured proposals um part of me is kind of hoping that 
the time they're having on in Montreux at the moment might you know might progress some of the ideas that you were describing the more sort of holistic approach um the the more measured football centric approach rather than the money centric approach um i mean i th- i think it's i think it's it would be wonderful if we went down the germany model but don't you know i, I can't see that happening oh, neither can i um, like it's just an example think, of what they could do no know? no no i'm, I'm I, I agree i agree i agree with the principle don't get me wrong but i mean i think it's but equally like at the minute you know Bayern are on their high horse putting out you know statements don't tell me that Bayern wouldn't be on board with this if it wasn't for the fact that there's the structure in germany exactly. means they can't actually do this you know um and PSG, for example, yes, okay, I'm glad I'm glad they're not signing signing up to it, but that has to be reflect as much about Nasser Al Khalifi's ownership of the BN Media Group and the fact that that media group owns the rights to the Champions League. Don't tell me those two things aren't related. Yeah. You know that PSG aren't involved because suddenly it's a different media group that are that are underwriting the Super League. So. I, you know, there's a there's a whole load of people here trying to trying to get on their high horse who have no grounds for that. Um, but I, 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 I just I'm trying I'm trying to breathe. I'm trying <laughs> to keep calm, but I'm I'm just livid. I'm really livid. Um, I I think. Just change, just changing tax a little bit, Dave, because I think I think it would be very easy just to continue to talk about how angry we are about this. <laughs> I do I do think, ironically, a, a lot of the sports over here in the U.S. have kind of been flagged as that's not the model we want, that's not the route we want to go down, um, and I can understand that because it there's a the whole promotion and relegation situation is just so fundamental to how we think of uh, we what we think of of. For, for play um but there are there are some things over here that i think uh should be looked at things like uh salary caps and you know the 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 way things are structured so that talent is more evenly and regularly distributed rather than just going to the the big financiers i do think there are things not, I'm not saying that we should start adopting those things, but I, I do think we've got to be careful we don't be so insular that we can't be open to some of the things that are done well in, in other parts of the world. The Argentinian League, for example, has a really interesting coefficient system where your promotion and relegation isn't just a one-off what happens this year scenario that it's it's built over a somewhat historical pattern so for example if you are let's take newcastle as an example okay you've reached a point this season where you've probably god knows but you've probably done enough that you're not going to get relegated don't say it don't say it (laughs) but okay what's going to happen over the next four or five six games you could just stagnate okay but with the coefficient system it's in your interest to keep playing because next year if you're on the cusp of relegation it might help you that you did a bit better this year so it's not that they've abandoned promotion and relegation they just look at it a little bit more holistically and they look at it away 
that it pays for you to try and be consistent and not have a throw your money at the wall, have a, a, a good season and hope that it pays off. And I'm just using that as a way to illustrate that what we think of as right in Europe doesn't, it doesn't mean that we should blinker ourselves. We should look at what's working in other places and see whether there are things that we can incorporate and adopt and improve, but you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I, I do know what you mean. And, you know, I, I, I personally am not a fan of the, the Brazilian and Argentinian system only because that was set up with the idea of basically protecting the biggest teams. But I, I, yeah. do, I do take your point. And I think that, for, and I've mentioned it before on, on, on here, is that I think we, the UK, British football, English football, whatever you want to call it, could benefit from some kind of draft system. Um, and I was thinking of ways that this could be kind of set up as I was as on my way home tonight, you know, as I knew I was going to say something like this. And I know it wouldn't be the perfect way to do it, but if there was some sort of central contract thing that was set up by the FA, they've got enough money to do it, whereby there's a group of talented youngsters who are kind of, they play for, let's say, a League 1 or two, League 2 side, and they are also coached by the England setup. They're basically not allowed, if you like, to, to sign for a big club until they've had some kind of coaching and some full experience through this through this English FA setup. And by the time they get to a certain age, um, they are ready to be drafted in inverted commas. The, the the big Premier League clubs can't come and spend a load of money on them. They are um, you know, it's it's dished out from maybe the championship upwards, where teams can have their pick of who they think are the the next be- the next best things to come through. They have to commit to that club for a couple of years, and if they're good enough after that, then someone else can come in and buy them. And I, I look, I, I I've, I've made that up on a scooter on the way home from school, so I'm not <laughs> suggesting it's a perfect system. I'm sure it's flawed, and I'm sure people shout at me on Twitter, but I'm just suggesting something like you said there, something different, because I do think a lot of American sport does have have a lot of things right you know and I know that I was going to use basketball as an example but for example the the NFL the amount of different teams that have won the Super Bowl over a over let's say a 20-year period there's a fairly solid amount of teams that have have won it of, of different teams I would say the same thing in baseball especially where you know there are not many teams that put a big run together of of consecutive wins and yes there are obviously clubs who are better financed and better supported and all that stuff because that's what sport is you you know you 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 build on your advantages but i do think there are a lot of aspects of american sport which should or could be incorporated and again just to go back to my point like when i was talking about the, the 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 50 plus 1 rule these are all things, This, you know, part of it, I think, is like the, is the distribution of wealth. You mentioned a salary cap there. I think that's a great idea. I think, you know, you can't say to clubs, spend X amount percentage of your revenue on players and all this stuff because they're going to find a way around it. So just put a number on it. Just cap it completely like they do in the NFL. And, yeah, they try and find ways around it. Um, and spread out deals across a long period of time and all this other stuff. And that's, you know, that's going to happen. But let's put, let's put an independent accountant responsible for different teams throughout different leagues you know if if we want to make stuff happen let's actually make stuff happen in a proper and efficient way and again i'm not saying that everyone's going to wake up tomorrow morning and go bloody hell i don't know if you've heard the coleman had a dream podcast but they've got this <laughs> sus 
that like you said the point the point is is that i do think there are a lot of things that could and should be done in a much much better way than it's being done at the minute and i think it would be remiss of us not to use this as an opportunity for us to actually act and do something and make a positive change and that is the thing i think i'm pissed off at because ultimately like you said rather than go around the circles let's move it on a little bit i am actually all up for these lads buggering off and doing what they want to do I, I i wrote an article not not so long ago saying that i think it would actually be good for for british football in a way because it isn't a mad dash for finances anymore because a lot of the money would leave the game it would make a lot of clubs have to be in 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 britain it would make them have to be a lot more self-sustained i, th- I think you would look at how celtic and rangers have managed that for example a lot of money have, has gone out of scottish football and they've had to adapt to to do what they do and still remain competitive and they've done it well um i think this is a is, is is still an opportunity for more teams to come along and, and win a trophy. You know, if, if someone came and told me in 10 years Newcastle won the FA Cup, but Man United, Arsenal and Chelsea weren't in the tournament that year, you know, would I care? Absolutely not. I'd be buzzing, mate. So, I, 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 you know, I do think it would also give other clubs an opportunity to win something domestically if we binned these off, which we absolutely should. So I, I do equally think there is a flip side to it where that window like you were talking about the integrity of promotion and relegation and what that means to us as a as a footballing culture i think that can still be sustained and still be effective and important but we do it without these teams who are they're not football teams anymore are they they're they're businesses and they they just happen to kick a ball about i, mean, I think that that's the way you've got to look at it now do, could you see a situation where they go and the uefa follow through on their their banning of players internationally and progressively players don't want to play for them. And it becomes almost a little bit like the the league here in the US where you kind of go to retire the way that um, Pirlo, for example, came and played in New York for a little bit or or Rooney played in Washington or, or Beckham in LA. Do you think there's a possibility it might end up like that? What, where like Gareth Bale comes to play for... Is that, is, that, is that what you mean? No, 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 no. The, the, the ones that break away, let's say they break away. Right. But players, the players in their heyday are not actually that interested in playing for them because, because you'd lose your international standing. Right. But when you reach a point in your career where you've, you're thinking about retiring from international football and you're just looking to make the money... At the minute, people spend a year or two in the States or they spend a year or two in Japan or they spend a year or two in China. Do you think there's a possibility that these clubs might end up in that sort of framework? I see what you're saying. I I guess so. I think it must be so difficult because I think we idealise Gareth Bale, and rightly so. He's the best player we've ever produced. We idealise, I think, his feeling towards playing for Wales. and, And, you know, I think rightly so. But I think a lot of that comes from now. He's played for Real Madrid. He earns, you know, 400 grand a week or whatever it is. If Gareth Bale had to stop being paid to play football tomorrow, if it meant he could play for Wales, he could probably do that and he can afford to do it. And it would build his legend with us even more. And rightly so. But he's in a position where he can make that decision. I think if you said to Joe Rodden, look, mate, you're going to have to take a 30 grand a week pay cut and you're going to have to come and play for... I mean, it would be great, but God forbid, Newcastle United, you know, uh, under under Steve under Steve Bruce, I would equally question. Uh, 
at a point where you just think, what well, do I really want to lose 30 grand a week? Okay, I can't play for Wales. Yes, I'm gutted. Are Wales ever going to win anything if we're like, you know, you know, perish the thought, but it's unlikely. If you're Joe Rodden, are you thinking, I'm going to make a load of money. I'm going to be secure for the rest of my life. So is my family. So is my kids. So is everyone I've ever met. And, all right, I can't play for Wales. I, unfortunately, because the, 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 the sums of money we're talking about are so big. I mean, like I said, they're talking about billions of dollars a year. As much as I love Wales and how much I would love a Welsh cap, I'll be honest with you, Ruth. <laughs> I, you know, if if someone came to me, look, is four hundred grand a week to play for Spurs in the Europa Super League, but it means you can never play for Wales again. I'm going to level with you, Ruth. I'm doing this in a in a small little room <laughs> next to a train station in the Netherlands, and I know I've got to go and shout at a load of kids tomorrow. You want to give me four hundred grand a week for a couple of years to go and play for to go and kick a ball about, but it means I can't play for Wales. I'll I'll level with you. I would take it. Yeah, I mean, I, I and I don't think we could we could blame them. You know, at the, the point where for, I know at the time Bells was moving from Spurs to Madrid, so it's it's kind of one you know in this context, it's two teams that would be affected. But let's imagine he'd be making that move at the time. What was our what were we ranked? 80th, 90th in the world. Yeah. We looked like we were never going to qualify for anything. I I don't think we could have blamed him for for making that move for the money he's making for his family. I think it would be it would be hypocritical of us to blame someone for that because we we all take you know a promotion, don't we, on the basis that it's going to put us and our family in a better position. So what, you, you know, I, I don't I think it would be hypocritical if we come down hard. I think I think unfortunately the the players are going to end up as pawns in this, and I think that's yeah. the sad part. Yeah, I, and I agree with that entirely. I, I, there's there's two things I want to say before we, I do want to try and look at it from a, a bit more of a Welsh perspective, if mm-hmm. if that's fos- possible. Is there's two ways that this gets solved overnight in my mind? Is some kind of players union, be it be it FIFA Pro or something that the players themselves set up, come out and say, "You are breaching the terms of our contract. You are none of us signed up for any of this. We didn't know any of this." you either pull out of this or we're going to sue you all for breach of contract. You're putting us in a situation where we have to make a choice between something. And then, like, I'm convinced all of this goes away because everyone wants to see Bale, Ronaldo, Messi, Neymar, whoever else playing in these games. That's the point. So I do think it's not easy, but I do think that is this is fixable in quite a short space of time, and it's diff- it's impossible to put the players in that position because it's not their responsibility to fix this mess. But equally, they do have a lot of power. Equally, I do think it's really interesting that you know a, a lot of chat going around about Klopp today saying how he doesn't want this and how you know he needs to speak to his chairman and all this other stuff. Again, I think if you take a lot of these characters out of the game take Klopp away from Liverpool for example or Pep away from Manchester City you're taking more of these big names these big personalities out of the game they go and manage somewhere else they're heroes for going to do it I, I do think that those two ways are a, are a way for this to be wound up pretty quickly if people want to but again then that goes back on my argument I guess that you know the, the players are you know they need to make their money in a short space of time and I think that you know 
it's, it is it's, it's very very difficult to put this on the on the shoulders of the players but it, having said that I do think that if they kind of club together enough of them club together especially your Ronaldos and whoever else I think that would very quickly change the narrative of this whole situation I agree it would be interesting to see what the what the legal status is of players' contracts who might be in this situation? Do they have do they have anything in their contracts that that might pertain to this sort of situation? Um, I doubt it. Uh, I suppose it's possible that someone like Ronaldo could have a, a clause that says if they're not in the Champions League, he has a he has a get out clause. Um, you know, so maybe there's a backdoor yeah, a backdoor yeah. way something somewhere like that. Uh, but I think, I think obviously this, it's one of the things that the players' unions will be looking at as we speak is what what leverage and legal uh, backdrop do they have for this? Um, I agree with you, and it will be an interesting one. Like I say, it's not easy, and I wouldn't put it on the players. You know, I don't put it at the players' laps lightly. Um, mm. The other thing I spoke I spoke to a few people today who who I'm friends with who are fans of some of these clubs. My uncle I've mentioned on here before is a big Man City fan. He, you know, him and all his mates don't want it to happen. Um, I've spoken to a couple of Man United fans who again don't want it to happen. I spoke to one of my friends who's an Arsenal fan, and he said whilst he's not for it, so to speak. It is a lot of there's a lot of similarities between this and the Premier League in the in the way that it was founded and the ultimate reasons for that. Again, the Premier League being formed was just a, a, a finance vehicle ultimately, mm-hmm. um, and it is just a natural evolution of the game. I, it's not a, an opinion I subscribe to, but I do think it was an interesting way of looking at it. I think if it was a natural evolution to a European league with relegation and promotion, I think that might be different. But this this feels different than the burgeoning of the Premier League. And that was painful, don't get me wrong. And and we, we at the time we were having exactly the same conversations around it's money grabbing, it's a few clubs that are only interested in, you know, their status and all of that. You know, those same sort of backdrop arguments were, were being made. And um, but I think it's the fact that this is a closed shop does make it different. This Super League setup. I, yeah, I mean, like I say, I, I, it's not a, a view that I prescribe to, but I, I do think it's an interesting way of looking at it. And I think it's easy for us to say this about the Premier League being not a closed shop at the minute. I mean, it literally isn't. But I mean the teams that get in promoted and relegated are often the same teams with the odd exception. Mm. Um, the gap between the Premier League and the Championship in terms of finances is is ridiculous. Ne- you know, never mind the, the gap in quality. So, I, 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 you know, it is an interesting one because it is literally an open shop, but I, I, it, it's not really. It's like having an open shop, but when you get to the shop, all you can buy is biscuits, but you really don't like biscuits. Like, it's... <laughs> It's, I should have thought about that analogy. That was a weird one, wasn't it? But you know what I mean? You, you can only get something you don't want and then you think, well, I don't want to be in this shop anymore. After all, sod it. I'd, you know, I'll go to a different shop where I can buy, you know, Haribo. Um, so I, do you see what I mean, though? It's, it's a, no. It's a, it's a shocking analogy. My point is, is that if you get to the Premier League, there's only so much you can have. 
thereafter, you have to just take what you're given and you're told to be happy with it. And if you don't like it, you can bugger off. Or when you do bugger off, you might actually enjoy things elsewhere a little bit more. So, you know, I think, um, you know, a lot of football fans would maybe prescribe that. I, for example, have not enjoyed watching Newcastle play football for ages. It's, it's not fun getting spanked each week. And then you turn up and it gets a team you might beat and then it's Burnley and it's you know two teams basically kicking lumps out of each other and it just happens to be a football nearby like it's it's not enjoyable that the aim is not sporting excellence anymore the the, the aim is is not being defeated <laughs> and those are two very very different things to me I'm getting off track now anyway um to to look at this from a Wales perspective we have to you know be realistic about the fact oh some lovely birds singing in, in the background there that was very nice um <laughs> anyway that we we have to be realistic in that if this were to pass this would quite literally decimate our side wouldn't it if it if it goes that players for these teams cannot play for wales yes we would we would we'd we'd obviously lose some key some key performers but um I'm, tr- I'm trying to be hopeful that I think when we look at where I think Rodden is the obvious is the, is an interesting one because I think he's at a point in his career where the next contract, assuming he progresses the way he is, the next contract should be a damn big contract. Yeah, and I think it's very hard to put a player like that in the position of having to choose as we were saying before, choose country over his and his family's financial stability. Um, I kind of, I, I think Bale and Ramsey, uh, I think they might be a point in their, in their careers where perhaps club just doesn't feel as important as it might have done a few years ago. Oh, I think God. there's also a, and then there's the batch of youngsters that are at Liverpool and, and Manchester and, and, and Man City that are, you know, could we we could be decimated if it, if they literally if you ever literally approach it to all of all of the you know Harry Wilsons of the world and you know does it if someone is out on loan does this still apply and you know would. Would clubs take people from these other clubs on loan? Are you allowed to? You know, it's. I think there's a whole, there's a whole spider's web of mess there to unpick, isn't there? I think. Um, the, the but one, yeah, we could sorry. be hit hard. There's no two ways about it. I think the one thing I can see happening, which does worry me the most, is that if you put aside who you think would or wouldn't play, like, for example, Dan James, he might think, well, I'm not playing regularly at Man United anyway. I could probably pick up similar money elsewhere. He's not a top-level starter for Man United. You know, Paul Pogba, 300 grand a week player. He could probably take one step down, probably not lose any money financially and, and still be fine and still play for Wales. So I think there's there are some players who I don't think... I, I, I think there could be natural moves for them where it would work. By the same token... I think that there are other situations which would work against us and would still benefit the bigger teams. Like you talked about loans and stuff there. I could really see, you know, if you take all of France's best players away from them, let's say, or Spain's, there is still a crop of players underneath that who would be more than good enough to qualify for a tournament. So what I could then see happening is those players, their big names, go on loan for a year 
and all of a sudden they're exempt and everyone guess what they want everyone can still play in the big tournaments because your Spains and whoever have qualified and your Sergio Ramos is still playing in a World Cup and he's still playing for Real Madrid and it's 2045 and you know and he's and he's the oldest man in the world to lift the World Cup everyone everyone's a winner I, I can I can see a world where that exists as well where for one year there's a, a sacrifice or there's a loophole for six months for someone to go on loan somewhere. Like I can see all that happening. And that, but again, that would decimate Wales because we would never qualify for a tournament without our big guns. Whereas, you know, your, your, your Spains and your England's probably as well could. And I think that is another part of it as well. I think again, it would just end up being a, a vehicle to kind of exploit, exploit loopholes. So everyone gets what they want. And again, fundamentally everyone makes as much money as they want. It's just it's just more smoke and mirrors, isn't it? Exactly. So I hadn't even thought I hadn't even thought about loopholes like that, but you can see it happening undoubtedly. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I mean we're we're speculating on speculation at the minute. I think you're right in that ultimately what everybody is interested in, sadly, is making money, um, and I I think that whatever solution is found to this, whatever outcome is found to this it's going to be because someone digs their heels in more and go and goes after the money you look at what's happening to man united stock price at the minute or uv stock price at the minute they've made money in the last 24 hours purely on that purely on the speculation around what's happening so if they pulled the plug on this tomorrow they've made money yeah i i I, I sure i saw the share price graphic earlier and that it enraged me for the phone almost went out the window on that one. Um, let's let's try and, and move on and talk about something else before we both have yes, some please, sort of please. aneurysm. <laughs> um, let's talk about uh, Danny Ward, who got uh, a new contract at Leicester uh, till twenty twenty five. What what are you thinking on that one? Just a bit strange. To be honest, I mean, it's, I, it kind of goes to what we were just saying. You can't blame him signing a, signing a contract, which presumably is reasonably good money with a premier, successful premiership team. And it's, you know, it's got some longevity as a contract. Again, I can't blame him for doing that. It, it just seems a little unaspirational. Um, and I think that's where my concern lies. It's just... It, it just kind of smacks of settling and I, I kind of don't like that as a as a, someone that I would hope ultimately wants to be our number one goalkeeper kind of is sort of at the minute um I, I just don't like the the lack of ambition that it's it shows really it's an interesting one isn't it because to an extent I agree lack of ambition you know he's not going to play every week unless he's received assurances that Casper Schmeichel might be going somewhere um, and he's the first person in line if he does you know equally you say that you say about aspirational would you not be tempted for the money they're probably throwing at him to fight for your place in the team at some point given they're what I think they're third in the Premier League at the moment you know you say lack of aspiration but they're in a cup final they're third in the league okay he's not playing oh, I don't think now the, but do you I see don't what I mean the team are un- un- aspirational I'm not I just I'm I'm, I'm not sure it's for him to be kind of second in line as a personal aspiration, that's the bit that gets me because I don't think Schmeichel's going anywhere soon. And I think if he does, Leicester will probably be looking at a 
a, a sort of more established European level goalkeeper. Maybe I, I just mean aspiration or ambition. Sorry, in that sense, in that his ambition is to win that number one shirt and he's being ambitious in the sense that I can get that shirt off that guy and I can keep it from him and then when I do, I might be playing Champions League football. Do you see what I mean? But there's been no evidence of that. I'm not, I'm not saying I agree. I'm just saying like that might be his thought process when someone's offered you probably a big chunk of money for four years. You might be thinking to yourself, "I maybe can back myself here to to achieve something," and that is the extent I of his I ambition. I suppose. I suppose. There's, there's, I mean, there's some merit in that. I suppose, and you know, perhaps I'm being unfair, um, but it's, and I think part of it also is framed in concern, in our concerns about the fact that we don't seem to have a goalkeeper that's actually playing any football yeah. anywhere, <laughs> you know, um, and I'm sure that's kind of clouding my um, the, the the situation with the national team. I think you know, hand on heart is probably clouding my impression of what this says about Danny Ward as well. Yeah, I mean, because we've not been critical of Wayne Hennessy not trying to get a move for all this time either. Do you know what I mean? There, there, there is that edge to that. I think... Yeah, his I think his contract's up this summer as well, which is interesting. Hennessy's yes, now. Yes, it is. I, I, I think that's true. Yeah. Um, and I, it, I'll be interested because I can see Hennessy going and being a, a regular at a, at a championship football team and, and that kind of working in his favour for next season. And I think he's more than good enough for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, no conclusion arrived to there. Excellent. Um, so <laughs> uh, we will continue. We'll continue. I just want to very briefly say, because I do want to talk about some actual football, which has happened, um, is that Rome have said they are going to allow fans in, but it looks like it is just going to be locals. Um, unless something dramatically changes in relation to they're not going to make special exceptions uh, for people coming in to watch football. So it looks like it will just be people in and around Rome or at, at, at the very best, just Italians. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, we're talking about UEFA before. I think that's a complete joke. I think it's, there's a complete lack of sporting integrity going on there, giving someone a solely home, uh, you know, a purely home game. Um, I think that's, I think it's a really poor decision that they've let them make that call. What would you have done then? Would you would you have insisted that the Rome that Rome wasn't used as as a host city then? I think at this stage of the game, you've either got to be able to make assurances that the circumstances are the same for everyone, regardless of where you play the game, or you can't. And if you can't, you lose out. And I and I and I know there's a lot going on in the world at the minute, but you know, my God, can we not get anything right? Like, I, 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 it strikes me as ridiculous that we can play this ridiculous tournament in front of 35,000 people in Baku one week and you and you can travel from America and I can travel from the Netherlands to go there and people can travel from Turkey or wherever else to get there and five days later, the same group of people can't do the same to a different match. It just is, it's so, I don't want to say unethical because, you know, you know, maybe I'm just emotional and tired, but it it is I I think is in con complete contrast to any sort of sporting merit this tournament is looking like having. It's going to be a weird tournament anyway, but you chuck in the fact that someone is playing exclusively home games, and then other teams are playing with no none of their own fans in. Then some of their own fans, but they've had to fly three thousand miles, whereas the Italian team have had just had to stay in there. Espadrilles and that's Spanish is Espadrilles. Um, I don't know what shoes the Romans wear, but anyway, 
that they just have to sit by the pool in their Italian espadrilles and um, <laughs> we're travelling around all over Europe. And then by the time we get to Europe, to Rome, when we're all bloody knackered, and, uh, oh, by the way, none of your fans can come in. There will be 20,000 Italians giving you dog's abuse in their espadrilles. So I, I just, I don't know. I'm really, I'm really pissed off with it. I think this, this has been cack-handedly managed from start to finish. They should have booted this tournament down the road in terms of the organisation of it. And now they're insisting on doing it this ridiculous way and they're just making it worse with every single announcement they make, in my view. I'm see. I feel that the Italians should have the right. They shouldn't have to change their visitor policy. No, but then they can't and what they're host com- the game then, can they? Because you can't have. It no, no, that's away. what I'm saying. I, I don't think. I don't think you can say to the Italians, "Well, Baku is letting in fifty percent. Therefore, we expect you to let in fifty percent, and you have you let in every, anybody who's got a ticket." I think just because that works for Baku, you can't say it would work for Rome. My, I don't disagree with you though. I, I think it's some of these venues are effectively becoming solely home fixtures. I do think there's a question for UEFA about that. I think perhaps if if a particular country had said, well, we we can't host um, fans from you know nations X and Y, then it's okay. Well, we'll take this we'll take this game to a location that can. Um, but I, I think particularly with the Italians hosting the opening game, I think that was a di- that would have been a difficult call for UEFA. I, I agree with you, Davis. Just a mess, and and every every day just adds to the mess. Like I know yeah. that they've pushed back some decision and announcements about the venues to Friday, and yet people have got till Thursday to decide what to do with their tickets. Um, because I mean, and that's because of everything that's happened with the Super League. You can understand that UEFA need more time, but then okay, so you push the ticket decision date back as well. You don't do these things in isolation, yeah. and I think that's what they're making a mess of at the minute. I think at the minute, what someone needs to do really here, and I know it's obviously not feasible, but someone just needs to press pause, press reset, and start again, <laughs> because <laughs> this is. I'm I'm obviously looking forward to it. You know, it's a great thing for Wales. But it shouldn't be this way. Like it, it, this should not be how this is, and it's really, it's really pissing me off. I, I think it's, you know, it's not fair, which is like a teenager sulky thing <laughs> to say, but it's not. I think it's stupidly organised. You know, again, you cannot tell me UEFA did this for any other than anything other than financial purposes, and it's the same why they're letting Italy do this because Italy are saying they're going to get a quarter of the ground full or whatever, therefore they make some money out of it. That's why they're allowing them to do it, and it's it's a cheaper option for them rather than find another location and do everything that has to go with it. So, you know, again, this is all purely financially based, and it just I, th- I think it's just it's, it is wrong. Um, Let's move on before I have a little tantrum again. Um, <laughs> let, let's talk about the women who were, frankly, Yay, brilliant. Some, football. some actual football, <laughs> kicking a ball into a goal, which we did excellently. Um, it was uh, it was a great, whilst the Canada game was difficult, this was a great statement by Gemma Granger, I thought. It's a lovely game to watch, yeah. wasn't it? I, I, I like the ebb and flows in the game. I like, you know, I, th- I think there's, there's something to take from how we were playing in the parts of the game where we were on the front foot, but also how we managed the, the Danes when they were on the front foot. There's just there's just lots of positives yeah. to take from this game. I liked the tweaks 
with a more sort of obvious 4-2-3-1 sort of formation that she went for. Sophie Ingle and Angara James as a pair of holding midfielders. Oh I mean, God. that's just dreamy, isn't it? Let, let's stay with that. Thank you very much. I thought Josie Green, in fairness, made it, her and Gemma Evans made a great pair at the back when it's something that neither of them actually do as, yeah. as like their normal footballing jobs. So, so all in all, I thought there was there was just a lot of positives to take from it. Yeah, I thought I thought Gemma Evans in particular was 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 fantastic the way she defended. I think her reading of the game is excellent. Um, I think I tweeted during the game that watching Sophie Ingle, it was almost it was almost unfair, like how much footballing ability that one person can have. I mean, at one point that someone kind of approached her, she flicked the ball over them, turned around, mm. and flicked the ball back over them again before playing the ball into space. I was like, oh my god she's so she's so good and that is just a brilliant central midfield pairing um i think the the one thing that i think is important we don't lose is our defensive solidity and i will say that the goal concerned me in in its relative ease i think you know it's it's, it's a long ball through and someone should do better but it is a friendly we're learning a new system um and i think that the way we responded to that was outstanding. And to go and get the goal we did, and, and to be honest, you could even make the argument that we, we, we should be disappointed that we haven't won the game. I think, you know, the way we played, especially in that second half, we did run out of legs for the last 10 minutes or so, um, which again is to be expected given the amount of games that everyone has gone through this year. And obviously it's a new system where it is 100 miles an hour all the time. But um, I thought the chances we created is in, I don't want to say in stark contrast to Jane Ludlow, because that's not fair, but we seemed to get by before on creating one or two chances a game and making sure we took it. Whereas this, we created, I would say, like four or five, maybe even six really good opportunities. And I think that's just so promising for, for what's to come. Yeah, I think going back to their goal, I think it's an, an it's it's like the next lesson. We've obviously got to keep our solidity at the back because even if we're scoring we're not we're not going to be peppering the goal so we've we've got to remain solid at the back i think we looked vulnerable to that kind of long ball the 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 line for offside was sometimes a bit wobbly and and there was a there was a couple of occasions where either the danes were flagged you know and even gwen and harris on the on the commentary was saying that she didn't think they were actually offside or or the the pass was just a little bit overhit and the, and and Dane running through couldn't get on it. So I think we have to be, we have to be careful um, with that. And you know that's how they scored. They just it was a, a quick you know play broke down. There was a quick ball over the top, and then that um, harder you give someone quality of harder that sort of opportunity, she's going to round O'Sullivan and score. Yeah. So there are certainly lessons to learn. There are things that we we need to make sure we don't lose in this in this journey towards being a more front foot um pressing adventurous creative team obviously uh, but i think that it was just a joy to watch you know the likes of fishlock and harding going at people kaylee green mixing it up it was it was just a really nice game to watch 
Yeah, it was. I mean, looking at the bigger picture side of things, obviously we've got the draw coming up on the 30th of April, which very excited about looking forward to. I think we're going to be in pot three. I think we actually missed out on being in pot two by two places, I think, by my best maths. I think the the top 16 of the first two pots, and I think we are 18th in that list. So we've only just missed out on being in pot two, if my if my maths are correct, um, which they very rarely are, to be fair. Um, but... I think that shows how kind of highly ranked, uh, how highly capable we are. Sorry, and I know the rankings are sometimes misleading, but I think we will be the team that no one wants to draw in pot three. Um, and I think, again, a performance like that against the Danes goes to show what we are capable of against a second ranked pot. Beck, what, what do I mean? Second pot ranked? No. What do I mean? A team in the second pot. pot. Two. <laughs> yeah, those people. And they they will probably be the top ranked they would probably be like the top of the of the pot two list as well. So in theory, you know, we're holding our own against the cream of that that little exactly. sort of segment of, in the rankings. Um, so that's you know it's encouraging undoubtedly. Can we talk about our goal, please? Yes, yeah, that sorry. was beautiful. It was. <laughs> I think... Before we get onto the the bigger picture thing, I thought Kayla Green had a gate a great game, kind of harrying people, and this is. This was another example of where she harried possession off off the off the Danes to to start this move, and then some lovely kind of Ang Harrod James Fishlock Tash Harding interplay. What a cross! What a finish! Brilliant goal. I think I mentioned after the Canada game how underrated, in a sense, Tash is. In in the in the sense, I think sometimes we see her just as a bit of a worker. Um, and and sometimes we we forget what ability and in, in terms of what she can do on the ball and I think that that goal was a demonstration of that um, because it was it was such a such an accurate cross right right weight right pace right angle right position um, and I don't know if you've seen the FAW's video of the goal but it is absolutely brilliant in that all you can hear in the background. Every time someone other than Tash Harding has the ball, it's yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and then as the ball is just about to come back across, you can hear Jess going, Tash, Tash, Tash. Uh, <laughs> as the ball comes across, it's really, if you haven't seen that, I would suggest looking at it on the, uh, on, the, on, the, on their Twitter page. It's excellent. But uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, Jess missed a, a good similar chance actually in the first half. So mm. she will have been disappointed that she didn't put that away. So she absolutely made sure it, it went away. And, you know, I know we say this stuff all the time, but the celebration afterwards says so much about the team, I think. It's a friendly game that, you know, in the big grand scheme of things, doesn't matter. And. Jess went nuts when she scored and everyone piled in and jumped on her and was shouting and screaming and like it just goes to show that together togetherness that the team have but also how much it really matters to them regardless of the context playing for Wales. I I mean I don't think it I, I mean obviously it's a competitive not a competitive game it was a friendly but I don't think it doesn't matter in the big picture I actually think it's really important with particularly with a new manager coming in that they look like they've hit the ground running and they look like the, the the continuity and the togetherness and the camaraderie that the group have has been unaffected by the changes I think you can see the senior players like taking games by by the scruff and, yeah. and kind of pulling us through and being really supportive of the more junior inexperienced players. Um, 
I, I think there was just so many positives from this, like the, how we were, how we were energized, um, just, just backing ourselves. And obviously there are things we need to do better. We need better execution. We, 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 we need to take the chances that we, we create. Um, there were, you know, a few times we were caught out the back as we've, as we've said, but it, but it overall, I think it's very positive to friendlies. And when you look at the, how, the Canadians played against England as well. That gives that game some context yeah. too. You know the results that the result there. Uh, so all in all, I think it was it was an excellent an excellent little series. Yeah, I mean, I I can't I can't disagree. I think it was yeah worthwhile exercise. When I say it didn't matter, I just mean there was no there was nothing on it so to speak. But um, no, I, I I do know what you mean, and I think you know Gemma Grange has impressed everyone. I think it's fair to say. I think she spoke very well. Obviously, I listened to her on the Edge Foff podcast. I'm sure, I'm sure many people did, and I thought she spoke very well there. Like I said, I was at the press conference, uh, her first press conference, and I, again, the way she spoke, I thought was really interesting. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it's been a great couple of couple of weeks for them, and obviously, hopefully, the draw will come will come and be positive for us. We've obviously got we will do a, a special around that. Um, I think it would be remiss of us not to very quickly mention, just because I've realised how long we're going on for now, but. Just to mention the the Northern Ireland game, that should have been us really, but Northern Ireland beat uh, Ukraine four one on aggregate. So congratulations to them. He said in a completely unheartfelt, unauthentic way. Um, I just wanted to point out one thing for the game. I only saw the highlights, but the Ukrainian player you getting herself sent off completely for no reason whatsoever. I don't know if you've seen it, Ruth. Was one of my absolute favourite things of the week. I haven't seen it. Do tell tell me more. Oh, it was absolutely amazing. Balls being played back to the Ukrainian goalkeeper and the Ukrainian defender is trying to like shepherd the ball back to the, like let the ball go back to the keeper, but she can just run and clear the ball, but instead she decides to run, I would say about 5 6 7 yards out of her way to go and body check the approaching Northern Irish player and she absolutely smashes her. Absolutely no need for it. Either she can clear it or the goalkeeper can get it herself. And she's just looking at the opposition <laughs> player the whole time. Honestly, by the end, she must be 10 yards away from the line where she, spoke, where, where she kind of should be running to do this situation. She just absolutely <laughs> smashes her. And she knows as well, like it's late in the game. She's obviously just pissed off and she knows and she does it. She stands straight up and just walks straight off. The referee is like <laughs> flapping around for her guards and she's already gone. She's already thought, oh, I can't be asked for this. I'm done. I'll, I'll send you the clip after. It's absolutely superb. <laughs> well, fair dues. She knew she was in the wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good for her. Um, but yeah, congratulations, uh, sort of, to Northern Ireland. Um it should have, it should have been us, and hopefully this serves as a a shot in the arm, if you'll excuse the uh, the current COVID related pun there, um, to to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Yeah, I mean, I think that that draw in Newport is is I'm sure is haunting the girls. It haunts me, frankly. Yeah. Uh, so I dread to think what it does to them. But um, you know, keep going. All we can do is keep going. Exactly. Exactly. Well. There you go. Keep going is uh, is the motto there. That is what we have done for uh, an hour and eleven minutes. So I think maybe we should stop. Keep going. Stop keeping going, and uh, and let you all get on with your days. Um, 
I'm sure there'll be more to come on this European nonsense. Um, but in the meantime, we will be looking forward to doing hopefully a club roundup next week, which we didn't get around to obviously today. And um, yeah, there's just two things I wanted to mention before we go. One of them is I just wanted to say, uh, just give a shout out to John Smith, who has done same old Smith photography for for giving us some of his artwork. Um, some fantastic photos, which is, is it will be on a project which is hopefully coming up very very soon. So please, uh, if you're interested in some Welsh football photos, please keep an eye out for him. He's uh, John Smith and same old Smith photography. So do keep an, an eye out for his stuff. The other thing is we have wanted to do like a little survey. I don't know if you want to say something, Ruth, about how um, Welsh football fans would like what kind of content they would like in the build up to the Euros. Yeah, we mentioned this a couple of podcasts ago, so I've I've put something together. It's on our website. So if folks go to colemanhadadream.com and then just look for the tabs, they'll see a survey tab there. Um, and it's just a very quick uh, trying to get some input and what folks are what interested in, what they'd like to see more of, what are the challenges around trying to you know follow stuff online uh, the way we are at the minute. Um, I think, for example... You know, there's there's some pluses that folks will be able to go to Baku, some downs that probably not going to Rome. You know, how are we going to navigate that? Uh, so we'd love to get love to get some feedback from folks, not just looking at what we can do here at Coleman Had a Dream, but wider. We'll share it with the the other groups that we we work with, um, and and hopefully between us, we can all try and you know hit hit what folks are looking for. Absolutely, and I'll I'll be posting a link to this on Twitter. Uh, like Ruth said, it'll be on the website, and I'll post it in a few other places as well. Hopefully, on our Facebook page. Um, so yeah, uh, we'd love to know what you think about what content we can produce and what sort of stuff you want it to see. Be it podcasts, um, Facebook lives, um, the magazine, whatever. Really, we just want as many different views and opinions as possible. So if you wanna wanna get involved in that, as I say, I'll share the Twitter link and. The the the, ta- the page is open on our website, which is colemanhadadream.com. Um, there you go. That is another concise podcast from us, an hour and 14 minutes in. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for your time, considerable time, ladies and gents, in, in, in listening to us. We'll be back next week, hopefully with a club roundup. Um, thank you, too, for your, for your afternoon, in fact, this time, Ruth. Um, So enjoy the rest of your day and I will speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye-bye.